your hearts in and tuning your mind into him because when you do that, he refreshes you and he brings joy and he brings hope and sort of all the things that you feel like you've got a shortfall in your own heart and your own mind, wisdom for living your life and raising your kids and whatever else, you position yourself for worship. Now, one of the things that I want you to notice is that Sunday we do that, but I want you to think of kind of like a battery charger. That's not necessarily enough to get you through the whole week. And so you want to be going through your week and positioning yourselves to get that battery recharged multiple times. The second thing that we talked about in the GPS series was fellowship. Fellowship is the idea that Christians don't just come on Sunday and kind of say hi to each other and then exit. Christians are in fellowship with one another in a unique sort of way. Now, what I mean by a unique sort of way is there's lots of people that we hang out with during the week, but fellowship is a time where we bring our spiritual gifts, we bring encouragement, we're thinking about, we're praying about what to say to people, what to do in their lives, we confess our sins to one another. It's a deeper community thing than just, hey, hanging out. The third thing that God is trying to position us to do is discipleship. And discipleship is just this big idea that each of us are on the pathway of becoming more like Jesus, but on that pathway of becoming more like Jesus, we sometimes can't figure out exactly how to become like Jesus on our own. And so we've got somebody that is mentoring us, and maybe we're mentoring somebody else. And we're getting the help that we need to become more mature and more like Jesus. So those are the first three weeks. This week, we're going to talk about service. Now, what does that mean? It means basically this. It means that part of what Jesus does is Jesus goes around and he serves people. He goes to the least of these. He goes to lepers. He goes to outsiders. He goes to prostitutes. He does all sorts of things. You see it in really big fashion when he washes the feet of his disciples. And so then there's this open question. And the open question becomes something like this. Are you Christ-like in service? Now, there's a temptation to think that the Christian life is, I know a bunch of information, and I kind of believe that it's true, but then not actually following the pathway, the sort of lifestyle that Jesus lives. And he came to be a model and a template for how we were going to live our lives. There's a quote from a guy named G.K. Chesterton that says this, It says the Christian ideal has not been found tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And his argument is that the Christian life is something that a lot of people say they're a part of, but then if we ask sort of the obvious question, prove to me that you are like Jesus, how would we answer that? In Matthew 20, 25, it says this. It says, Jesus called them to himself, speaking of the disciples. And he said this. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Now, what's going on here, basically, is just this idea that out in the the world, the Gentile world, there's important people And they kind of run everybody into the ground. Now, I just want to let that sit there for a second. 
And you can think about how this works itself out. There are politicians who, and, and, and political pundits that want to lord it over you and tell you how to think. There's trolls on Facebook and every other social media, and they want to tell you how to think. And there's sports talk radio, and all the people that are on sports talk radio wish that they really were the coach of the team. And the question becomes something like this. Am I a person who wants to rule over others, tell others what to do? Or am I something very, very different? Let me pray and invite all of us to consider servanthood. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you and we see your son. We see your son going to people that had lost hope and had lost joy, didn't understand their identity or their purpose or their meaning. And we see your son, Father, going in and changing that in the lives of those around him. And Father, we would ask that you would encourage us and show us the path to be like Jesus in serving other people's lives. So let me tell you a quick story before I explain more about this. A quick story is this. So some of you that have been here for a while, you know that I, I suffer with depression. So um, Friday was extra de- depression day because it was all rainy and nasty and terrible. And so I went to, I, w- I was at the store Gabe's, which is just basically cheap clothes if you know anything about Gabe's. And so I'm in Gabe's, and it's raining, and it's miserable, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I'm just having kind of dark thoughts. And this really big guy makes eye contact with me, and he he comes up to me, and he goes, are you a pastor? (laughs) Because the man bun and the twisty mustache and the yellow pants scream pastor, right? And I'm like, yes. And he shakes my hand vigorously. And he looks me in the eye. And he says, thank God. Thank God for you. He has not forget, forgotten you. And he just leaves. And I'm in the middle of games. And I turn down an aisle because I tear up. I'm like, I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was alone, and yet somehow God touched this person, gave them some sort of weird discernment gift, and they entered into that moment as God's emissary. Now, then the interesting question becomes something like this. How often do you think God wants to do that through you? Now, how often do you want to receive it? Because we all want to receive it, right? We want somebody to say thanks, and we want... I, I get the idea of receiving. The only way to solve the equation, though, the only thing that you can control, because you can't control the receiving, is the giving. How many people do you think in this room this morning are hopeless, right on the edge of divorce, are caught up in an addiction, pornography, meth, who knows? How many people do you think that are, are, are here going, you know, God's forgotten me, God's given up on me? And the question then becomes, what does it mean for you to step in and be God's voice, be God's person, 
Now, you might say, well, what does this have to do with this verse? It has everything to do with the beginning of this verse because Jesus is doing a contrast. He's saying, there's people in the world that are self-important and they have an opinion on everything and they want everybody's lives to revolve around theirs and they lord it over people. It's called pride. And he's going to contrast that way of thinking with something very different. He goes on and he says this in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. He says, it's not the way, it's not this way among you, talking to his disciples, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom to many. Do you want to be a Christian, or do you just want to be rescued? Because there's a big difference between the two. If you want to be just rescued, it's the whole, I said those magic bean words. Jesus come into my life and transform things. And then Jesus tried to come into your life and nothing got transformed. Or do you want to pull back every now and then and go, do I want to be like Jesus? And his explanation is, be a servant. Be a slave. The world is scrambling for first and being number one and being important and having a title and being respected and getting an applause. And Jesus says, that's not what we're doing. Over here is somebody in children's ministry tying somebody's shoes. Over here is somebody that's doing the financial audit stuff for the church that nobody knows about. Over here are people that are up in the tech booth running the sound stuff. Nobody applauds that. Or at least nobody here. There may be an applause in heaven. We'll get to that a little bit later. But it is not this way amongst you. Now, I've seen this a couple of times in my life where it was fascinating to me, where somebody that, that could have or maybe should have had a position of importance, but they do something totally not that way. So I was working when I was in college at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Ritz-Carlton Hotel's lots of celebrities and stuff like that. I'm in Atlanta, and I see all these celebrities, and they're kind of full of themselves and this thing. But I remember one day David Bowie came to the hotel. And I was a David Bowie fan, so I, I was kind of like, I don't want to be around when he comes in because I don't want to be disappointed and turned off. But I wasn't. He, the, he, he pulled up, and there were two vans. And he got out of the van with some of his crew members. And he unloaded all the luggage, just like everybody else. And I was like, that's, that's weird. And then later that evening in my shift, I was working a second shift, later in the evening, he drove the van and he was the designated driver for everybody that was kind of part of his crew. And I was like, that's, 
That's fascinating. And then he came back, and it's, it's like midnight, and, you know, you just, you, you know, go to bed or something. But now he goes into the bar at the Ritz-Carlton, and he, he goes up and he asks the manager if he can play at the piano. And he just plays for the people in the bar for about an hour. And I was like, that's an amazing humility. Because that's so rare. I mean, the whole point is to get to the point where you don't have to unload the luggage and you're, you're, you've got a title and you don't do these other things, right? I mean, that's the point, isn't it? That's the world's point, but Jesus' point is very different. Let me give you another example. I was taking classes in seminary and I had to take this one class in the evenings and, and evening classes I, I, I hadn't attended much of and there was a, a person there that I'd never seen before and they were, I don't know, in their mid-30s maybe, and they were asking these really insightful questions in the seminary class in the evening. And so during one of the breaks, I go up to him and I say, hey, I haven't met you before. My name's Dave, and what's your name? And he tells me his name, and, and he, you know, what's your major? What are you doing? And he, I, I don't have a declared major. I'm, I'm just here to take classes. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I'm a dentist, but I, I recently was asked to be a deacon at my church. And I just want to be the best deacon I can be. So you're, you're not here to get a degree. You're not here to go get a title. You're, you're just here because you're a servant and you want to be a wise servant. You start to see the difference. And then the question becomes when we hold up the mirror, is that difference in me? Am I a person that thinks like I'm God's servant to the world? Or do I think like someone that wants to be in charge of stuff? It says this in James 4, 5. It's a fascinating passage. It says, therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, I want you to notice the bottom part of this verse first. People that are humble, people that position themselves to be servants, that God is actively giving grace to them. That every time you do something that gets no applause whatsoever to serve other people, God is extending grace into you. But I want you to see the top part of the verse. Every time you want to be in charge, every time you want to give your Facebook opinion, every time you think you really should be the coach of the team, every time you think you could preach better or run the church better, every time those thoughts are running through your mind and you're driven by pride, God's giving you something. He's giving you his opposition. He's pushing against you. Because you're off the rails of everything Jesus represents in terms of servanthood. And so he's forced, because he's a loving father and he has to discipline his children, he's forced to oppose you in your pride. Oppose me in my pride. C.S. Lewis says this about humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. 
me say that again. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so the question becomes kind of during the day, am I thinking like a servant? Am I thinking about who can I serve? How can I help them? What can I do for my coworkers? What can I do for my mom and dad? What can I do for my teacher? What can I do for my coworkers or my fellow students? Am I thinking like that? Or am I thinking, ah, I want to watch TV and I want to get on Instagram and I want to do this YouTube thing and I want to spend my money and I want and I want and I want. Because when we become that person, the typology in the Bible is you've become Pharaoh. And you want to enslave everyone and everything to you. And this is that big war that Jesus is opening up. And the people think that the war is just between basically kind of good and evil and the Roman government's bad and Jesus is going to be this towering conqueror and smash it to the ground and then the Jews can take over. Jesus isn't doing that at all. Jesus is separating a war, but it's a war between ego and vanity and pride and humility and servanthood and being less, being a slave to all. This war goes on in every single one of us every day. And the more we position ourselves in humility, God's extending his grace. The more we position ourselves in pride, he's pushing in opposition against us. It says this in 1 Peter 4.10, that each one of you, every single one of us, Each one of you has received a special gift. This is talking about spiritual gifts, which we've talked about before. You can Google it this week if you want to. Each one of us has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each one of you has received a special gift. So it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, let's say say it this way. Do you think that you're God's gift to mankind? Do Do you really think that you're God's gift to mankind? Actually, you are God's gift to mankind. The question is, are you giving? Again, look at this whole verse. You're being a good steward of the manifold grace of God. What does that mean? It means that the grace of God, when it says manifold, there's all sorts of ways that God is extending his grace. Again, in serving one another, he's extending his grace in all of its unique ways through helping out with the finance team, helping out with youth ministry, helping out with children's ministry, being a greeter, being an usher, serving one another, helping out in the kitchen, all sorts of things. That God's grace is extending itself in all kinds of dynamic ways towards one another through you. If, in serving one another as good stewards, how are you doing at the stewardship of servanthood? Let me make it real easy for you. What have you done this week to serve one another in this church? Are you along for the ride or are you invested in this? Because part of what God is saying is he's saying he wants to extend grace out into the world and into each other's lives. 
And the way that happens is when we view ourselves as a steward and we're positioning ourselves constantly to serve one another. When that happens, his grace is extended to us and through us into all sorts of people. Or is that not happening? See, that guy that was at Gabe's, he could have just been there to shop for himself. He could have been there just looking for what he wanted, what he liked. But I won the sort of charismatic lottery that day because he walked in going, God, is there something you want me to say to someone? Is there some, are you opening my eyes to something? Is there some place? Is there something? Really, that guy over there, why? He's got weird yellow pants and a man bun. Oh, there's this thing. And then he gets a little confirmation, and then he steps all the way into it, and he speaks life to me, which I need every now and then, because every now and then I go, where's God? Everything sucks. God's answer about the whole where's God, everything sucks, may be in your hands to deliver to one another. Each one of us has this special gift. Let me tell you about Uncle Leroy. You don't know Uncle Leroy. Uncle Leroy was not necessarily a rich guy. He was a really frugal guy. He was the kind of guy that he went to Sears once when he was probably in his mid-30s and found a great deal on jeans. And so he bought 30 of them so that he didn't have to think about jeans for the rest of his life. That was my Uncle Leroy. Now, my Uncle Leroy found out that I became a Christian, and Christians are few and far between in my family. And so he called me on the phone, and he kind of asked some questions, and then he, he actually called my father-in-law. I mean, I were just dating then, but he called him and found out some more information about me. And, and as the years go by, I, I graduate from Bible college, and I'm going to go to seminary. And my Uncle Leroy says, can I fly out and talk to you? And I'm like, well, Sure. So he flies out, and we're walking around my backyard, and he's asking me all these questions, my theology and this, that, and the other thing. And at the end of the conversation, he says this. He says, I've got three young men in my extended family that all feel called to the ministry. And I've got some money that I... I put aside because we didn't have any kids. I've got some money put aside, and, and God wants me to use this money to, to help. And so at this point in time, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so he's going he's gonna to divide it between the three of us and help us all go to seminary. That's, that's cool. Then he says this. He says, I'm not going to divide it amongst the three of you. I'm going to bet the whole wad on one of you. And it's you. Your seminary is paid for. Now, you might wonder what that has to do with service. It has everything to do with service. He was not a rich guy. This isn't just money sitting around. This is a guy going to work every day, and maybe an hour a day is for me. He didn't know it at the time, but looking back, that's reality. He worked for me. 
And think about the long-term effect his service has on me. Do you not think, if you have any idea what it's like to be a pastor, do you not think in the 33 years that I've done this that I've wanted to quit? I've wanted to quit a lot. But his service is a testimony in my life that does not let me quit. Because it would dishonor what he did and his investment. Now again, that may sound extreme to you, but here's the deal. Your investment, changing diapers over there, your investment in helping the church's finances, your investment in opening up your home to a community group, your investment, it it trails off into all kinds of stories that are just as real and dynamic as the one I just told you. But all of those stories are only possible if we view ourselves as a steward and enter into them as a servant. I want you to watch a video here in just a second. And the video basically is a a person that is working on something for themselves. And as they're working on something for themselves, they're a little bit frustrated. But then they get a chance to serve someone else. And I would say, by the end of the video, you'll understand what I mean when I say, when you serve yourself, you might get a little joy, but when you serve others, you get joy times joy times joy times joy. Watch this, please.
Now, just in case you didn't notice it, let me explain one of the big ideas in that video. She took her plans, the blueprints, and gave them up to let someone else soar. And it's more joyful than if her own life had succeeded in the thing that she wanted to do. It says this in Hebrews 6.10. And Paul's reminding everybody in the churches. God is not unjust so as to forget your work. And the love which you have shown towards his name. And having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. I sometimes think that God is unjust. It's a fallen, broken world. I sometimes think that God has forgotten me. And the reason why is I do all sorts of acts of service. I do all sorts of things for people. And you know, there's no applause. There's no... You're a mom or a dad, you know, when you get the dishes done, the kids aren't behind you at the end of it going, Woo! But here's the important thing that Paul's putting into play. Paul's putting in play, you're just not getting the applause now. God's not unjust, and God hasn't forgotten When you stepped into the school cafeteria and instead of going to your friends, you went to the new person that was all by themselves, God hasn't forgotten. When you know that one of your coworkers is going through divorce and everybody else is going to go have fun and you you say, hey, can I take you out to lunch or can I take you out after work or can I watch your kids some Friday or Saturday night so that you can go get a, a break? Nobody may be there to applaud, but God remembers. He's not unjust. He won't forget. And notice what it says exactly that he's not forgetting. The love which you've shown towards his name, and most of us that are Christians say, I I have love for God and his name, but the expression of that love is the focus point in this verse. And having ministered to, and in still ministering to the saints. Positioning ourselves to serve one another, to serve the church family. It's interesting when Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he meets Peter and he asks Peter, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Peter goes, yeah, I love you. But here's the interesting response. At the end of the response thing, Jesus says, if that's true, if you love me, worship really good. No, that's not what it says. Tithe money, that's not what it says either. Uh, Be really moral. It doesn't say that either. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my people. Position yourself as a servant, slave to one another. Most of the crowns of pride are out of reach for us. Anybody think that I'm going to be the pastor of the biggest megachurch on the planet? No? Yeah, yeah, me neither. Anybody think that I'll be a world-famous quarterback for the Buffalo Bills and finally win them the Super Bowl? No. 
Because you start to realize that pride and the crowns that it offers, there's only so many of them. And we can't get to them all. But the crowns of humility are available to everyone. And Jesus says, you want to know what heaven's going to be like? The first will be last, and the last will be first. You want to be great? Wash feet. Get on your knees and become a servant. So if you're thinking about the normal Christian life and worship and fellowship and discipleship, the next one to add to the mix is find your place of service. Let me pray. Father God, I pray to you in Jesus' name. And Father, would you help us to ask ourselves three questions? Three opportunity questions. Father, would you help us to ask, who do you want us to serve, Father? Who do you want us to serve, Father? And Father, where do you want us to serve? And Father, how do you want us to serve? Because we don't want to just be a believer. We want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Help us to become the servants that you've called us to become. Knowing full well that you are not unjust and you have not forgotten. And the applause is waiting for us someday in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us one more time?